like that? I like that. That was Amigo Neutron from the band Los Tsunamis. It appears on their album, Amigo Neutron. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And I am your host, Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to the show this week. I'm excited because I still have some content from last week's and a half's Lovecraft Film Festival and Cthulhu Con. I have an interview with Alan Trump. Now, Alan was the man behind the drive-in Lovecraft presentation at the festival. It was my favorite event at the festival. I had a lot of fun looking at this gorgeous movie poster art. And afterwards, Alan and I met up outside the Hollywood Theater and just chatted, talked about monster movie posters, poster collecting, Lovecraft, horror movies, the fraternity of horror fans, as well as a book that he's in called Hidden Horror, a celebration of 101 underrated and overlooked fright flicks. He and a number of other people contributed to this book, and we're going to talk a little bit about what that book is as well. Now, we'll get to all that after we get through the business here at the top of the show. You can find us at our website at monsterkidradio.net, where we have all of our information, like our email address, which is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or our voicemail line, which is 503-4795-MKR. Also across the top, you'll see a button that says bands slash songs. If you click on the bands or songs button, you're going to find links to every musician, every band that's appeared here on Monster Kid Radio, including Los Tsunamis. You'll find the link to their website, lostsunamis.bandcamp.com, where you can buy their album. And if you do, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. You can also find links to our YouTube page, our Flickr album, or our Live 365 channel, as well as our entire archive, our back catalog, 90 episodes before this one came out. So we are coming up on our 100th episode, and I think here in about a week, we're going to tell you about what we have planned for our special episode 100. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for our interview with Alan Trump. We're going to get to that right after this. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. The man played 21 seasons in Major League Baseball, and for my money, he's still the home run king. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com I thought this podcast was about Hammer and Hank Aaron. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. This is Jackie Ray Naaman Jones. I play Debbie in Monos, The Hands of Fate, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. One of 
of my favorite things that happened at this year's Lovecraft Film Festival and CthulhuCon was the drive-in Lovecraft presentation put together by this man here, Alan Trump. How's it going, man? It's going very well. Thank you. So that was a lot of fun, and I asked you afterwards if that was something that you'd done before. You mentioned it had been done at like a MythosCon or a Necronomicon? Uh, yes. Uh, Adam Niswander, the late Adam Niswander, unfortunately, a couple years ago held a MythosCon in Phoenix, and I got a- approximately seven people to come to that, but it pretty much was some of the same content, a little bit smaller in scope, but, but yeah, that sort of thing. And at other conventions, I've done things like, um, for instance... Uh, shown movie posters that involved gimmicks like William Castle stuff, the the barf bag things, and and so on and so forth like that. So these older movies are they kind of a passion of yours? Yeah, definitely. They're the stuff that I grew up with. I'm sure I'm just the same as everybody else. I'm like Ponce de Leon looking for that fountain of youth, and this is the stuff that brings me back to childhood and comfortable memories and sharing things with people, but still with a little bit of terror in there mixed in as well. Nothing wrong with being a monster kid, man. Not at all. So the presentation was a number of slides of the posters that you own. How did you get into collecting the posters? Actually, the the way it actually began was I remember going to a comic book store and getting a reproduction of the Forbidden Planet poster with Robbie the Robot and... um and Francis on it. And I thought, well, you know, I wonder, you know, this, this, this is nice and everything, and I wondered if I can get, still get some of the originals for this. And this was about, I guess, 20 or um, maybe a few more years back, before the advent of the Internet. There used to be a magazine, and maybe there still is, called Movie Collector's World. And I picked that up, and I looked through there, and I began to see listings for posters. Like, for instance, the first ones that I can remember buying were a British poster for Goliath versus the Vampires. Nice. A double feature of the She-Beast and uh, the Embalmer and, I think, Beast of Blood, the uh, Filipino uh, Sam Sherman film. And I was hooked. Those images were so strong and the paper was such a cool quality coming back from there. And from then on, God helped me, no stopping me. I kept going. <laughs> if you ever run out of wall space and you need somebody to hold on to your posters for you, I'd be happy to do it for you. I, I, I very much I'd like to. I may take you up on that. I have no children. Uh, there's something makes sense there. but uh, uh, So I may put you in the wheel for that. There might be several other takers. But I'll tell you the truth, I don't have enough wall space. And right now, what I do is, basically, I just keep the posters in manila envelopes. And every now and then, my wife and I will go down and we'll switch them out, which is kind of a nice thing. I probably should get expensive framing and linen backing and stuff like that. But the kind of the way I look at it is I'm kind of a pragmatist about it because... I don't want to spend more money preserving the posters than the directors and producers made making the movie. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of these posters have a potentially higher production value than the films themselves. Speaking of which, what are some of the favorite posters that you have that just have terrible movies associated with them? Oh, boy. Um, again, I really like uh, double features and stuff like that. One of my all-time favorites, I would have to say, is... Frankenstein meets the space monster and the curse of the voodoo, which includes an offer up at the top. And again, I'm, I'm all for the gimmicks, the William castle stuff and things. This one has space shield deflectors, which will keep you from being abducted into outer space. And I think basically they were just 3D glasses that were left over for non-3D movies. Nice. So, yes. And, and I, another thing that comes to mind, and he's not with us anymore, 
Uh, I have some posters for Ray Dennis Steckler stuff, like oh. the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and turned into mixed up zombies. Yes. Yeah. And Mr. Steckler actually came to Washington University, and I live close to St. Louis, Missouri, and he came in town for a director's retrospective, and they showed Rat Finka Boo Boo, uh, Incredibly Strange Creatures, and The Thrill Killers. And I got him to sign my stuff for nothing. He didn't want anything. I bought some merchandise from him. He was an exquisite, wonderful man. And at the end of the thing, he put his arm around me and said, Alan, from what you've paid for these posters, and, and I bought DVDs and stuff for people I knew and things, with, the, with as much money as you spent with me, I can make my new movie. So, <laughs> and knowing his budgets, I can believe that. Well, speaking of low budget, uh, I got a particular thrill when you put up a picture of something from Larry Buchanan's films. Oh uh, who is Larry Buchanan, for people who don't know? Well, as I, I don't know all of Larry Buchanan's story, but as I understand it, when American International wanted to put a bunch of their films out as sort of a creature feature package to television, they said, we don't have quite enough to fill out what we need. So Larry Buchanan is this director from Texas, and they said, Larry... Um, why don't you make remakes for us of some of our pay, our popular movies? And he, and I, I guess he said, okay, it was really not his choice. He liked to do things like he made strange exploitation movies. He made exposés. Larry was a big believer in all sorts of conspiracy theories about the death of uh, Jim Morrison and uh, 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 Marilyn uh, Monroe and things. But he said, okay, we'll remake some of these things. And so they said, great, we'll give you $30,000, which is nothing today, but it was, uh, it, it was still a trivial amount. He got about $30,000. We'll give you one star, and most of the money for that st- sort of star, like people like from Beach Party movies, Yvonne Craig, Batgirl, and, thing, and uh, Tommy Kirk, Tommy Kirk <laughs> and uh, Aaron Kincaid from the Beach Party films. And so, so he had that, and he had the same scripts, and so he winds up making these films, like, and I'm sure people know him, Zontar the Thing from Venus, Curse of the Swamp Creature, Preacher of the and in some cases, especially with Creature of Destruction and It's Alive, and oh boy, there's a, there's a rough one, they use the same monster because they couldn't have... I remember watching that thing, oh, for God's sake, that's the same monster I saw last week. But these things played all the time, almost on a weekly basis when I was growing up. And I knew I'd seen the originals before because they were remaking It Conquered the World and The Day the World Ended and uh, uh, Voodoo Woman and stuff like that. Is where, where they get this? And they have this washed-out color and there are all sorts of errors. But you know what? There is a charm about them that I cannot deny. And as a matter of fact, one thing I will say about Buchanan, always got the job done, seemed to work professionally with people, and not many people will say this, but some of the shots that he took, for instance, he would do extreme close-ups for just a few seconds of the monster's face, and you would just say, my God, what was that? For a minute. And he has one in The Curse of the Swamp Creature where the mad scientist says he's just turned his assistant into the new laboratory bulletproof amphibian monster, and he says, Tom, are you hungry? How thoughtless of me. So he reaches down and he gets a turtle out of his liver and he hands and you see this webbed hand come out of this incubator mist and it grabs the turtle and then you hear this god awful crunching noise which to me is like my god that's really revolting so it's a combination of trash and what i grew up with and some brilliant insight into some things so i cannot slam larry at all he's great (laughs) 
So we're at the Lovecraft Film Festival, and your presentation was all about these older movies that were based on Lovecraft or had Lovecraftian inspirations. You're a Lovecraft fan, then, obviously. Uh, I definitely am. I have been, I assume, for a lot of people since high school. And um, the way that I first got involved with Lovecraft, oddly enough, is through the movies, because I saw the coming attractions for, like, I think 1970. They had the Dean Stockwell, Sandra Dean movie, ah. The Dunwich Horror, yes. come out. Well, I saw the commercials for it, and I was like, wow, what... And, Years before that, I had been a fan. I think maybe the first horror movie I saw and fell in love with was Roger Corman's Day the World Ended on TV. So, so I'd been a big fan. And I said, what is this done? With it looks great. So I asked my father, he says, would you take me down to see this film? And he says, where is it playing? And it was at a place called the Fox Theater in St. Louis, which now is a huge, beautiful showcase. And it has... Ignore, you know, ornate lion sculptures in stained glass. He says, but at the time, the Fox Theater was showing stuff like Dunwich Horror, Incredible Two-Headed Transplant, Master of the Flying Guillotine, <laughs> Friday Foster, uh, Coffee, and I was, and my dad says, that's not the best neighborhood. I'm not taking you down there. So I was, oh, and I, my, my poor adolescent heart was sad. So I went to the local drugstore, and I noticed that they had these purple paperback uh, called Lancer Paperbacks, and I'll be darned, one of them was The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. And so I got my vengeance on my family <laughs> by, by reading the, Love, the Dunwich Horror in the, original, in the paperback as verses, and I didn't see the movie until probably 10 years later on the CBS Late Night Movie. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. So I actually have a soft spot for the Dumbledore Horror as well. We've talked about it. I've mentioned it on the show. I love the score, and I love the... There's a campiness and, a, and an earnestness that Stockwell brings. It's just so over the top, but I love it nonetheless. So I got a real thrill when you were talking about it in your presentation. I think it's absolutely great. I, I, From what I've read, I think that Dean Stockwell was into Lovecraft and was reading him on the set and stuff. Not... Po absolutely positive, but he tries. He tries to pronounce, and if you've read Lovecraft, a lot of his words are long things with lots of syllables with apostrophes, and they have no vowels and things, and they weren't meant to be pr pronounced by human vocal cords, but by <laughs> alien. And, but so you've got, so you've got uh, Dean Stockwell going, th -th 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 -th, you know, and and of course the big one, Yog Sothoth, which yeah. is the demon god he serves, you know. It, it has that, it has psychedelic colors, it has other Corman actors in it, like Barbara Morris, which is from his ensemble group, uh, she's in there. It has Sam Jaffe, who played Dr. Zorba on the oh, old Ben Casey TV he's show. He's so uh, good in that. He has Sandra D, who, beautiful, beautiful Sandra D, but poor thing doesn't have a clue that she's being drugged and, and <laughs> you know hypnotized and manipulated to become the bride of this extraterrestrial monster from beyond the stars Yog sothoth another one that you had in your presentation that i really enjoy but a lot of people you know because it's more derlith than lovecraft you know aren't really too down with it i like the shuttered room quite uh -huh. a bit can you talk about the shuttered room I had not seen the shutter again. Oh, I saw it in the CBS late night movie, and I and my my street cred goes out to the CBS late night movie because <laughs> that's where I saw Beyond the Door, Trog, uh, oh. Dracula, uh, Dracula has risen from the grave, and oh, uh, Night of the Lepus. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. <laughs> but uh, so I saw um, Shuttered Room on there. Shuttered Room opens with, to me, a very terrifying beginning in which, kind of like in oh uh, well. Friday the 13th, or it came from outer space, we are looking through the point of view of something, 
something that breaks its chains and is running around busting itself out of an attic and terrified people are grabbing at it and trying to get out of the way and it's not until the end of the film that you find out what this thing is and then we do have Lovecraftian elements if, if people aren't familiar August Derleth took a bunch of basically uh, fragments that Lovecraft wrote and turned them into somewhat, well, less than satisfying at times mythos stories, and one of them was The Shuttered Room. Well, The Shuttered Room, except for uh, using Lovecraft's place locations like Arkham, Massachusetts, and things like that, it really has almost no bearing on it. It's a great title and a very fine album by the New Wave band, The Fix, if I might. <laughs> so um, so it is, and, and I mentioned this to you. It, you mentioned it has Oliver Reed in it. Yeah. It had, who is like Oliver Reed, always boozing and whoring and, you know, and tough. And it has Carol Lindley, who is this delicate, beautiful creature who, who uh, as soon as Oliver Reed sees her, he knows he must possess her. Carol Lindley is married to Gig Young, who's about 20 years older, <laughs> and that causes plenty of, of problems with the entire arrangement. And a lot of the movie is more, it's more like straw dogs. You know, you have these city people, peaceful people who come to this rural environment and wind up clashing with the rural ruffians and things like that. It's a, it's a favorite of mine, I'll, and I'll admit it. Maybe a guilty pleasure, but it is definitely a pleasure. There was one movie I didn't see a poster for in your presentation, and I want to get your take on it, uh, in terms of uh, a classic monster movie, classic-ish, that has some Lovecraftian themes. Horror Express. For two million years in these subterranean caves, a creature of superhuman evil was entombed in a wall of ice, waiting to be free. Waiting to live again. Travel with us on a journey into a world where nightmare becomes reality. Are you telling me that an ape that lived two million years ago got onto that crate? Kill the baggage man and put him in there. Yes, I am. It's alive. It must be. Travel with us, if you dare, on the Horror Express. search the train and find it, whatever it is, and destroy it. But if it's alive... I want this kept quiet. I don't want to panic the passengers. The malignant power of this creature is indestructible, transferring its force from mind to mind, from body to body. Beast is not dead. I put four bullets into him. You think evil can be killed with bullets? Satan leaves. The animal that you shot was only the host. It's alive in someone on this train. You saw his eyes. One look at them and you're dead. Anything that moves near that door, kill it. <laughs> Run, 
for your life. Hide, but you can't escape. No one can stop the fury and the terror of the Horror Express. I, you know what? I don't have that one. In my, you know, one thing I will also explain. I would love to be somebody like, oh boy, who, was it Ronald Boris who put out the Graven Images book, which is all the beautiful right. uh, movie posters, about, yeah. or the uh, we were mentioning the Metallica guitarist who put out the Too Much Horror Business book in which he drops down $100,000 for something for an original mummy poster and thing. I would love to do that. I work as a technical writer. <laughs> I, bet, I can't afford this. I have to go look around on eBay and, you know, occasionally little places like this. I don't have time to be running around Hollywood, you know, knocking on people's doors. I, I was sorry to hear about the passing of your loved one, but do you have any old movie posters anymore? I don't want to do so. So I have to get affordable things, affordable things. Now, Horror Express, if people haven't seen it, it's a very odd, interesting film in which you have a frozen yeti, if you like, that they find, and it's dug up and taken out of the Russian permafrost or something, and there's this crazy guy who's a lot like Rasputin who winds up being sort of hypnotized by it and the creature is a bodiless intelligence that can transfer itself from in this case the body of a primitive ape man the the uh the yeti like thing it just looks at you and it burns out your eyes with its glowing eyes and then it can either take possession of your body or it just leaves you dead on the ground and when they cut your brain open you don't have any wrinkles anymore in your brain. It's quite terrible. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely Lovecraftian ideas where you have an extraterrestrial intelligence. You have a disembodied creature, you know, from outer space to which people are kind of playthings, that sort of thing. And, of course, as we mentioned before, Lovecraft and, uh, was something of, I guess you could call him an atheist. He was an atheist. And so he said, what frightens me? Well, I still like all the Gothic traditions of ghosts and haunted house and things like that. But how could this come to be? He says, well, maybe what we interpreted as being ghosts and things are creatures from other dimensions, from non-Euclidean space. And at the time, you had Einstein and you had Carl Schrodinger, and we were beginning the beginning of quantum mechanics, so you could have, like, multiverses. So he took some of that. He was very much into science. And so he says, well, how would you, you know, how would you do that? He says, well, we have creatures from other planets who our primitive cults have sometimes interpreted as demons and monsters and things like that. So here in this case, we have something that is uh, an alien life form and is trying to get back to its home planet. But unfortunately, it runs into Telly Savalas as the lead <laughs> Cossack on this train. And if I remember right, they, uh, the reason they used the train was they had it left over from some other famous movie that I can't remember what that is. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the poster for this, it's, yes, highly recommend the film. The American one sheet is it is ugly as hell. It's like red or purple or something. It's like two colors. It does show the monster sort of strangling this girl, and it's cool. But I'll tell you what, they have a British poster for it that shows a woman being grabbed by the throat in this huge red glowing eyes behind her with the train running in the background. And yes, that is a beautiful poster. I would love to have that. I th- last time I checked, about $250. So I have to wait for a while. <laughs> So do you have a presence online, a blog, a website, anywhere people can look you up and find out more about what you do? Basically, I'm pretty much as I'm pretty much a dinosaur as much as the Ray Harryhausen films with a lot of that <laughs> stuff. I, I, I am going to be starting a blog soon sometime. I am present on Facebook if you want to find me out there. I am definitely, and we'd love to talk to other fans and, you know, swap stories. It's, it's very strange, you know, I mean, in the horror community, 
and, and really, it was only until I started meeting, like, I have several good friends. I have a friend named Barry York that I've seen films with uh, most of my life. John Kitley and Aaron Christensen in um, Chicago with uh, Kitley's Crypt. Uh, they really got me renewed and invigorated in this. And I'd say something that's not present in, say, the science fiction community and things like that is I think with horror films and with horror fiction, there's a real brotherhood that people have. I, I would not say it's it's kind of similar to veterans sitting around and swapping war stories and stuff. <laughs> Obviously, they are much more patriotically put by their lives at risk, but we're like... When I went and saw Last House on the left for the first time, I almost soiled myself. You know, and we're sharing stories like that or crawling downstairs watching, you know, watching stuff late at night when we're supposed when we're not supposed to be there. For instance, I stayed up one night all the way through. I got through War of the Worlds, When Worlds Collide and Invaders from Mars. And my parents were generally pretty good about letting me watch whatever I want. But I was halfway through When Worlds Collide when all of a sudden I heard this voice behind me say, What the hell are you doing? And I turned around and it was my father standing there in his underwear without his glasses. It's a pretty terrifying sight. And I said, I'm sorry, I'll only go to the end of this movie. And it's, All right, well, you better. But then I lied to my father. I lied to my parents and I stayed up and watched Invaders from Mars all the way because I'd never seen it before. So we swapped stories like that. I think that one thing that horror film fans in many cases, if you're younger of course, you're, you're, you know you you know the Freddy Kruegers, you know the uh, the Jasons and things like that but those were their rites of passage, those were scary things, I saw that, did you survive? Yes, my wife friends and she loves the Saw movies and there are some of those that I like my wife has almost no patience if you were to show her a Val Luton movie which is very atmospheric from the 40s something like, and my personal favorite is stuff like The Seventh Victim and The, and the Leopard Man from Luton, but hers like, oh when is something going to happen in this film? I can very much understand that, but I think with horror films, if unless you're a very, a very impatient person or something, you look at this and say, okay, they only had so much budget to go with. They were pretty creative on how they handled this. Like one of the films that showed at the convention tonight or uh, this weekend was Equinox. This picture is rated GP. What happened to Dr. Waterman? Only this man, last to see him alive, knows. The Equinox. The invisible barrier between good and evil. The invisible barrier between light and the forces of darkness. The weird, the unbelievable, supernatural before your very eyes <laughs> as four teenage boys and girls fight a devil cult for their sanity for their lives for their eternal souls equinox a story that defies logic confounds belief Yeah, I, I, I can't believe it. It was just a fall. What is the secret of the thousand-year-old book? What are the unspeakable horrors conjured by the forces of evil? What is the fiendish power of the ring that enslaves and destroys? What is the one symbol that can hold at bay the hosts of hell unleashed on Earth? 
Which is a, uh, it has all sorts of stuff in it. You know, I mean, it has a demonic book similar to Lovecraft's Necronomicon. It has a friend of Lovecraft's, Fritz Lieber, is one of the stars of it. It has special effects that they achieved through stop motion animation, some of which were done by Jim Danforth, who went on to all sorts of things, including Hammer's When Dinosaurs Rule the Earth. But anyway, I think I think that horror fans have kind of bemused and realized what they're working with. Equinox, for instance, they got a lot of those shots just by, okay, you stand right here, and then they put somebody up closer to the camera to make them look like a giant. It was very simple, smart tools. And uh, the whole thing was kind of put together because they... They shot it as a student film, and then they got extra financing for it. They put in extra actors. They redubbed things. They added, you know, the the strange demonic uh, ranger, Mr. Asmodeus. Uh, And it's been a late-night favorite of mine. I can remember watching that for the first time on, like, Sunday evening, one warm summer day in Florissant, Missouri, and saying, man, this is what it's all about. It was delightful. You are in a book that came out not too long ago, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, John Kitley, uh, his uh, Kitley's Crypt Press, and uh, the person who edited the book is named Aaron Christensen. He has several, I think it's several hundred interviews, and he they previously did a prior version. He calls himself Dr. Ack, and he previously had a Horror 101 book that was, okay, what's all the classics? And one thing, I love this book. I was asked to write a chapter on it. You could pick any film you wanted. Obviously, there were people who picked the same thing, but I picked the old, like, 1960 movie, City of the Dead, which is uh, with Christopher Lee... This is Whitewood, Massachusetts. A young girl, a stranger, has come to Whitewood to do research. She has come, she thinks, to study. Leave Whitewood. Leave Whitewood tonight, I beg of you. Leave before it is too late. In spite of this warning, the girl lingers on. The guests are over three hundred years old. Human blood keeps them alive forever. Barlow. I'm Jerry Barlow, living God! 
for me, it's an amazing film. It's for one thing, it's one of the gateway films. It got me into horror films. One of the very first that I can remember, and it has. Uh, a small town in New England, somewhat Lovecraft, small town, witchcraft infested. A young girl goes there to study witchcraft, disappears. Her brother and her boyfriend had to go find her and wind up in the midst of a witchcraft cult that has survived for centuries by drinking the blood of its victims. And it has an ending in it. I always love the ending, and I can just say it's an explosive ending. And I just, I loved it, so I, so I asked if I could do that one. And yes, it's, and the good thing about this book, and like I said, you have everything in here from uh, Kenneth Hyde, who is the guest of honor here, did the Japanese film Uzumaki. You have, they're not, a few somewhat are Lovecraft films, but you had everything from Uzumaki to Horror of Party Beach to May. Uh, you had... Uh, Gates of Hell or City of the City of the Walking Dead, you know everything from silent films like The Man Who Laughs up until newer, more recent, harder to find films. And the thing that I like the absolute best about it, they didn't give people a lot of time to embroider on their topic. Each person gets about two pages, and in that, you are revealed. You get some background on the film, and you get information on such was whoever wrote it. Where did you see this thing? You know, what was your first encounter with it? Why is it special to you? What do you really like about it? How did it influence other things? And so rather than have somebody who is writing a term paper on Francois Truffaut's uh, Fahrenheit 451 and the differences between that and the Bradbury novel, you have people who say things like, it's a truly amazing book. You had one person who was a rape survivor and said that the film I Spit on Your Grave was empowering to her. I mean, my God, you had people who... One person who was, I think, uh, the movie The Reflecting Skin, uh, they talked about it brought back memories of when they had had to, in Canada, help conduct a search for a dead body and stuff. All sorts of recollections. And, again, also the thing, where did you see it? Some people snuck down to the, you know, to the, the little uh, downstairs den to watch it at 3 a.m. Some people watched it in their college dorm room on videotape. Some people watched it on streaming stuff or through Netflix. Uh, some people, like me, uh, would occasionally get to see stuff actually in the theater. And it, it's just a very personal approach, and all of the writing in it, and particularly with Mr. Christensen's uh, approach, it's not fan worship or anything. You know, everybody admits these films have uh, wrinkles and boils and things, uh, but it's what they appreciate about them. Or in some cases, he may, one thing is, I think he's got a Doris Wishman film in there, A Night to Dismember. And if you could say something good about a Doris Wishman film, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> they also have stuff like Matango, Attack of the Mushroom People, oh, yeah. which is, you know, wonderful. It, I, I really recommend people check it out. Again, it's called Hidden Horrors, and uh, the author is Aaron Christensen, and you could pick it up directly through Amazon.com, and it's like 15 bucks at a newsstand, and it may be less than that on Amazon.com. You'll, you'll love it. I don't get any money for saying this. I'm just trying to help out you know, some of the folks that I like and work with. Sounds good, Alan. It's been a pleasure meeting you, Thank and, you too. and seeing you here. Do you have any conventions coming up? You know what? And this is going to be te- terrible for me to say. If I could stay here in Portland one more week, you guys have NorwestCon, I think, coming up. 
Uh, that's in Seattle. Oh, okay. Is that Seattle? Okay. And we have the World Horror Convention here. Oh. Next month. So. You're ki- oh, I might have or to check. this month. How about soon? I have to. I have to check that out. Just, but you know, it, because as I in Norwest Con, I'm a huge fan of the fan, British fantasy writer Michael Moorcock, who uh, wrote yeah. the the Elric books and things. Everybody. So if I can't get to something that or the World Horror. I definitely will be going. I try to get out if I can to the Horror Hound shows. They're having a Day of the Days of the Dead show in Indianapolis, in which they're having a, a Night of the Demons reunion, and supposedly Dario Argento is supposed to be there. So you know, I mean, I'm really looking forward to those, and it's it's always good, you know, to meet the the horror fraternity. It, it's an amazingly wonderful group, and you see some great stars, and you swap some great stories with very interesting people. Well, if you see Alan at any of these shows, go up to him, tell him hi, and tell him the Monster Kid Radio sent to. Thank you very much, Alan. Derek, it's been a pleasure. Take care. So that book that Alan was talking about, it's available now, and there's a Facebook page set up for it. Go to facebook.com slash hiddenhorrorthebook, or follow the link in the show notes. And that book was nominated for a Rondo Award in the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards, Alongside a podcast called Monster Kid Radio in the best multimedia horror category. That's category number 23. Head over to RondoAward.com to check out the ballot. Check out the instructions on how you can vote. You still have time. The beginning of May is the deadline for your ballot. So if you haven't had a chance to fill out your ballot yet, there's still time to go vote for your favorite books, magazine covers, articles, columns, horror hosts, events, and podcasts. Again, you can find links to that in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net, as well as anything else that we've ever talked about here on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Big thanks to Alan for taking some time at the Lovecraft Film Festival to sit down with me outside. It was a beautiful day. You guys got to hear some of the nature around the Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon, as well as some of the sirens. We actually stopped recording there for a second as the police car or ambulance or whatever it was drove by. And then Alan just... Flipped right back into the interview, didn't even miss a beat. He's a professional. Really appreciate him sharing his thoughts on some of these classic movies, these classic movie posters, and the presentation that he gave, the drive-in Lovecraft presentation, like I said before, my favorite part of the Lovecraft Film Festival. And I hope he comes back next year. And I hope you guys and gals, if you're in the area, are able to come to the Lovecraft Film Festival next October. Also, if you're in the Portland area, May 3rd at the Hollywood Theater Godzilla, the original 60th anniversary digital restoration of the original film, Godzilla. We're going to do a Monster Kid Radio crash. I know I'm going to be there. Chris McMillan, Ray Jelinek, Tom Doffel, and a number of other people have already said that they're going to join us for the crash. I have an event set up over on Facebook. Just look up Monster Kid Radio crashes Godzilla. Or again, follow the link in the show notes. If you are going to be there, look me up. I'm hard to miss. I'm the guy wearing the Hawaiian shirt who looks like he's having the most fun in the room. And I'll have a recorder on hand as well. We're going to record for an upcoming episode of Monster Kid Radio. And if you want, I'll even put you on the show. Again, thanks to the band Los Tsunamis for allowing us to play their music here on the show. And we're going to go ahead and go out on that song, Amigo Neutron, here in a second. But first, I need to let you know that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song, Amigo Neutron. That belongs to Los Tsunamis. And again, they gave us permission to play it here on the show. Talk to you in a couple of days.